Well, hello my friends, Liz here. Welcome back to this week's episode. And at the time of this recording, we have just finished off the Self-Advocacy Made Easy Summit. It was so fun. The people showing up were so amazing. So if that's you, thank you. Thank you for being part of the summit. And for those of you who weren't able to catch it, as you know from the last couple of episodes, I've been sharing some of the trainings that we did in the pre-summit period. So for today, to finish it off, to finish off the summit period, I'm sharing a third training for you that I thought was so fun. And it's a training I did a couple days ago about ditching imposter syndrome. And we did the training based on a popular request. It came up as a request for a post-summit training. And I thought I'd share it all with you here because I thought it gives some really great ways to think about imposter syndrome to help really shift our minds around it. So I'm sharing it with you and it did go fairly long. So I'm going to split the training into two parts. So part one, which you're about to hear today, is all about the four types of imposter syndrome. And I break it down into a quadrant. Now, if you want to see the video of that and how it looks like in video to see me actually draw out those four quadrants, you're more than welcome to come join us over in the Facebook group. I'll drop the link to that down in the show notes. So that's this part, part one, this first part. And then part two, I will be releasing it a little bit later this week. So keep your eye on the podcast episodes for that episode. And that's where I'm going to go into a few different ways to start ditching imposter syndrome. And it's coming out of a resource that I have that has a very cheeky title. It's called The Perfect System to Overcoming Imposter Thoughts. And I will drop that link down below. So if you want, you can go straight ahead and check out that resource. It is a Google Doc that you can check out with some tips that I have around overcoming imposter thoughts. But if you want to hear about some of them live and get the training, then definitely make sure you pick up part two, which will be coming out in a few days. So with that, let's get right into it about the four types of imposter thoughts. Well, hey there, I'm Liz St. Jean, and this is the Unruly Leadership Podcast, where I help subject matter experts like you design a career on your terms. It's where strategy meets intuition to help you break the rules, ignore the rules, and make your own damn rules. So let's break free from perfectionism, imposter thoughts, and that inner rule keeper that's keeping you in your career comfort zone. It's time to become unapologetically you and step into the life you were meant to live. We're going to talk presence, productivity, career, and having it all. Or as my four-year-old would say, we're going to take over the world. So let's get to it. Hello, hello to those of you who are live here us right now and those of you catching the replay. So nice to see you. As you know, the summit has come to a close, but we're doing a really special post-summit training here um, based on some of the conversations we're having in the threads. We thought that a ditching imposter syndrome training would be helpful. Now, so those of you who are catching it, I believe all of you know me by now, but in case you don't, in case you haven't been here at the summit, I am Liz and I do a lot of work with sensitive professionals who are looking to advance to the next level. So often they're on a path towards a director level position and sometimes advance means something else. It can mean many different things for folks. 
So I do a lot of work with folks who are working on confidence and often it's coming out of a place where they've either had a toxic work experience in the past, they've had that confidence hit or they're tapped for a promotion and kind of worried about whether they're ready for it. Or are they going to, going to let someone down? I actually hear that more than you would think. They're worried about letting someone down if they've been tapped for a promotion. Um, or that they're often an only in the room, we can say. So you the only person who maybe looks, thinks, sounds like you in the room. You kind of look around and you feel a little bit like you're an only. Um, and so all those things can contribute to confidence hits. So as you know, by now I have a a program called the Powerful Presence Society, and it's a leadership uh, leadership development accelerator program. We do a lot of work on self-leadership as well as strategic thinking skills, and the goal is to come out feeling confident in our leadership and also being seen as leaders by the folks around us and doing it without burnout, without 2 a.m. night sweats about those little minor mistakes, and definitely without joining the old boys club. So that's my little plug for PPS for anyone who's considering it. So with that, let's jump into this training about ditching imposter syndrome. So one of the pieces about talking about imposter syndrome, it's very meta, but I have definitely had my own imposter syndrome around talking about imposter syndrome because it doesn't feel very comfortable to say that I'm any kind of expert in it. But I will share why like, why I do feel qualified to talk about it. I have a few things about my background that um that I feel qualified to talk about my perspective as well as what I've learned in the research. So one thing is, is for me, I've had the experience of, of being an only in the room for a lot of my lifetime. I felt like an only in the room. And, and sometimes I wonder if maybe we all feel a little bit like an only in the room, but I've certainly had those experiences. You kind of look around the table and you realize, like, wow, there is no one here who has the same kind of background I have. And especially if you're in those rooms where it feels like everyone else has a very shared background experience, has very shared language, or has very shared uh, life experiences or societal experiences of their whatever it is, whether it's um, gender, sex, race, neurodivergence, whatever it might be, and you feel like you're only. So I've certainly had that experience, and I've realized just how much that experience can contribute to imposter thoughts. And that's what led me to when I was doing my graduate research, I did, a, or uh, well, my graduate studies and my research, I did a lot of work. I, um, I wove imposter into it a lot because I was very interested by it because of my own experience. And that's where I kind of came across so when we get into the training and I talk about, first of all, I'm realizing that there's different kinds of imposter thoughts and not necessarily even just the ways it shows up in us, but almost like where it comes from. And a lot of imposter syndrome work is written around assuming it's just inside of us and it's just a psychological thing and we need to fix it. And I don't want to, like, don't get me wrong, like there is absolutely a place, especially with working with a counselor, working with psychologists on the what might be happening inside of us. But what I realize is that there's a lot of it comes from be either being that only or things that are happening externally that then translate into messages for us. So that's why I became very interested in it. And I've done um, a lot of free resources. So a lot of you might have seen on my website about different free resources around imposter syndrome. And I'll share one of them in a bit. I'll, I'll drop the link in there because I'm going to touch on it a bit, but there's more in the resource. Um, but the first thing I want to start with is kind of like a four quadrant model of imposter syndrome. And this is all something that um, in PPS, we cover it in oh, which module three, I believe it is. So module three, we look, we look specifically at imposter thoughts. So I prefer to think of it as imposter thoughts than, than syndrome. I feel like it's a little bit more empowering than thinking of it as a syndrome in us. Um, and so what I, how I like to think of it is that 
This is four quadrant and imposter syndrome can be chronic or situational. We're going to go through these chronic or situational. So chronic is like, we've had it for a very long time, maybe even most of our lives, right? That, and this is more of a, a standard kind of typical imposter syndrome. And it can also be internal and external. And what I mean by that is what the source of it is, like what's kind of causing or triggering the imposter thoughts that we're having. So we've got chronic here. Okay, so we've chronic and situational. Okay, and then we have internal and external. So the chronic internal is what we think of for the very kind of traditional imposter syndrome. Like when we're feeling like a complete fraud, despite all, you know, despite the wins that we've had, we've all, we feel like we might get fired. And it's, it, you've kind of had that, and it's probably been low level as well. Like it's not necessarily acute. It could be acute as well, but it's more, it's often kind of like that chronic kind of a low level problem. So the, the message, the imposter thought is usually like, I'm a, a fake or a fraud. That's what comes up. And often here, we kind of try to like bury it down for our careers or most of our lives. And often here, and again, as I'm, I'm saying this based on my research and my experience as a coach, there's um, less, I, I don't have a psychology degree, obviously I'm not a psychologist or counselor. So there's a whole, there's a whole space around here to talk about with the counseling and, and more therapeutic realm. But one of the things at least I've observed for myself and for some others, often this happens out of like childhood experiences, things that happen that become kind of deep seated or deep rooted in us. And um, I'll just share just from my own perspective, like to, so my sort of origin story of this is that, um, so I have a very naturally uh, direct and dominant communication style. Let's say I don't, I, I've, I've had to learn how to not interrupt people. And you've all seen me this week, like I have no problems talking. And that was pretty raw. So if anyone caught the, caught the Facebook Live, where we talk about strengths, what raw and mature strengths. Um, as a child, I was told I was too bossy. Stop being so bossy. So that became this like underlying message that carried through. So that was my kind of internal kind of chronic. It still had an external source, but it kind of became this chronic message that I would tell people. And, and so sometimes it comes out as I'm a fake, but there are other kind of like imposter messages. Like I'm not meant to be a leader. I don't belong here. Those kind of like underlying low, it's like a low fever kind of level, kind of a message. Okay. This is where this is where most a lot of the especially the early literature was written from a lot of this place. A lot of the um, social science research is written from this place and ends up being kind of entangled with a lot of self-esteem, self-confidence stuff that can come up. And this is where, um, so to speak earlier, like I've, I worked with people from a coaching perspective, but this is also where a therapeutic perspective can be very helpful, right? Working through it from that more therapeutic and that therapeutic space with someone who has that training to provide a therapeutic um, place to, to process and to, to work through the triggers. But here's what I've noticed over time is that we've got these other places where it comes up that's not as talked about as much. So I'm going to jump over, which one I can jump over to next. Okay, this one's a good one. So internal situational. And this one comes up like if it's all internal, there's no external message telling you that you're an imposter or you're, you don't belong, but it's situational. 
So a really good example of this that I've seen come up, so I've seen it come up several times with people I work with, is when we're tapped for promotions or we're tapped that we're told that we're on this path. And we didn't necessarily have that confidence hit before, but all of a sudden I was like, mm, what if I fall flat on my face? I literally had someone tell me that a few years back, like, I really want this, I want to do it, but what if I fall flat on my face? And a lot of times, especially for um, you know, the heart center, this the sensitive professionals, the ones who really care about others part of it comes out of a fear of letting others down. We're, we're worried we're gonna let people down. We're worried we're not gonna be able to do the thing that we've been tapped to do. So I'm gonna put that there. So that can be the message. I'm going to fall on my face, okay? And this one, it's, it's a lot more maybe common and natural than we think. That's the thing with a lot of these is that we don't, we often don't tell people like I, I have a lot of people tell me things and then they, it's almost like this like oh I've never told anyone that before it's a, it's a little bit like confessionals like leadership confessional uh because they're getting things off their chest you're getting that um the weight off by not sharing and what I've come to realize is a lot of this is so much more common than we think and part of it we get into a bit of a, a meta spiral or a self-fulfilling prophecy spiral because then we judge ourselves for having these thoughts Okay, I've certainly done that. I, this is something I still work on. So it's, you know, it's uh, unfortunately the ditching, it's, it's not as simple as having a magic wand some of the times, like we do work on it. Um, but this is, it's just a lot more common and natural than we think it is. So that, that feeling like, oh, I'm going to fall on my face or what's going to happen. And most of the time we kind of push through it. Okay, we just kind of push through it, make it happen. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes that fear, that situational imposter thought stops us. So I remember having a conversation with a neighbor years and a um, couple years ago, and she was asking what I did. And I, I was chatting and we started chatting about imposter syndrome. And she's like, that's what I had. And she was telling me about a story about when she was in, it was towards the end of the undergrad or start of her master's, I can't remember which. And she was asked to lead a group and be the president of some group. And as her administration and the program, she was an master. And she, she declined, she turned it down because she didn't think she'd be able to do it. And it wasn't until, so this must have been, would have been like 30 years later that she's chatting with me on the couch about it. And, and she wasn't talking about it with so much regret. It was more like awareness, like a light bulb, like, oh, that's like, that's what happened. And I totally turned it down because I was so worried that, it, that I would fail. And so sometimes it does happen that we hold ourselves back because of it. What I've observed a lot of times, we just kind of, we push through it we don't necessarily work through it. So we push through it, but it's kind of like it attaches to us. Like, has anyone gone hiking in the woods and you come away and you realize you got all those burrs on you, like the little pieces, even if there's a path, but you, you get, you kind of collect them. So sometimes these thoughts, we kind of collect them and we don't necessarily let go of them. So this is where the ditching comes in. We don't necessarily let go of them. Okay, so that's a situational internal uh, imposter syndrome, or I'm going to cross this out, or imposter thoughts. Let's do this, calling it imposter thoughts. Now, the next one is the more chronic external. So this one is often an implicit message that we have. So we're not being given necessarily uh, an explicit message that we don't belong, that we're a fake, but there's something in the environment when we look around and it's external that we don't feel like we belong. Okay, so this is very common, especially for people identifying as female who are working in a male dominated industry, 
But it's also the case for folks who are on the more, maybe on the more sensitive side or feel like they're in a male dominated industry more, it's the culture. You know, some cultures have, um, you know, we hear the term bro culture, right? And we don't feel like we belong, but we're in that industry. Okay, so this is where that only at the table comes in. Only at the table. And this is also, I'm going to draw a little thing here. This is often also implicit. It's an, sort of an implicit message. Usually when it's chronic and external, it's implicit. We see it. We're observing it. This is where, you know, you hear a lot about why representation matters. This is why representation matters so much. Because without representation, we look around and there's this chronic message. There's this implicit message that we don't belong. We don't see ourselves there and we have to push through it, right? We're kind of pushing through that message or maybe, and so sometimes, I mean, I'm using the term push through it, but sometimes the analogy of a speed bump is helpful here. You know how if you're driving, there's a speed bump. If you're going kind of at, a, at speed, you can get over it. But if you're in a car and you come up to a speed bump and you're, and you're going a little bit more slowly, that speed bump can stop us. So sometimes we can push through these because the car is going well enough. But depending what's happening in life, depending on how much energy kind of we have in our bucket, sometimes these messages are enough to get us to, like we essentially slow ourselves down. It's too much to get over that speed bump. Okay, so that's the external chronic. Then the last one is our external situational. And this one is usually explicit. Okay. And what this usually sounds like is when someone gives you a message, literally tells you explicitly a message that you don't belong. Now, most of the time in the modern environment, people aren't going around saying you don't belong. They're not literally saying that. If they are, that's probably a sign you should leave that company. The explicit message is often more like, so we see it a lot with more so females, but I say parents, but more so females or women with children. And when someone very helpfully tells you that this might not be the right time for you to go for that promotion, you've got a lot going on at home, right? And unfortunately, there are those messages still being said. Um, those messages are still being passed along. People kind of making decisions for us. Or I recently heard an example about, oof, you might be too busy. I don't, I don't want to overwhelm you. Oof, like people are trying to be, it's like they're trying to be helpful to us, but really they're implicitly or perhaps explicitly giving us this message or this thought that we don't belong, that we're not cut out for it. And so that can be a really tough one, right? Like that's really, you gotta, you gotta have a lot of internal fortitude to push through, especially if it's a mentor, like a mentor telling you, oh, this might not be the right time for you to go for that promotion. You just had a baby. You know, I know your, your focus will be elsewhere. We don't wanna take you away from that, but you know, those kinds of conversations, that's what happens here. So, okay, not a good time for you. And the biggest problem with this, like I said, sometimes we have these thoughts and they're enough to hold us back. We turn down the promotion or we, we don't do something, which in and of itself isn't a bad thing. So I don't want to say that turning things down, taking a break, taking a pause, like even going in and out of management leadership, like there's a whole conversation now about what value there is, so like take a break from being a manager because it's a lot to be a people manager. Like it's a lot that we're giving and we're doing for folks. Sometimes we need a break, that's okay. The difficulty is that 
if we're taking a break because of these reasons, right? Because we're having these thoughts, as opposed to making the decision from a place of saying, you know, I, I want, I like, I'd love to have a break right now. I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to step away my next job. I'm going into a role that's not a people management role and it's going to be great. And that's coming from a higher energy level. So for those of you who caught the workshop yesterday, or if you didn't, you can still catch the replay. Any of my emails in the last couple of days should have a link to the replay. But it, when we talk about the higher energy levels, like making, you can make the same choice. And when you make it from a higher energy level, it's like you don't collect those burrs, right? It's like you, you have less weight on us. When we make the decision from this place, from that place of fear or doubt, or literally be someone telling us, and we feel like, well, you know, if, if Sasha thinks that I'm not really cut out for this, and maybe I'm not actually cut out for it, we may not, we may choose to not, to not push for it and push and get into that discomfort zone or that uncomfortable growth zone, or we may push through, but with a lot of weight and it kind of collects in the back of our minds and without cleansing it out, like without ditching it or without getting, without kind of cleaning out these thoughts, it weighs us down. And that's what a lot of times what causes those 2 a.m. night sweats or just having a hard time falling asleep. That's where I see it the most, where it comes out kind of physically for people, having a really hard time falling asleep or waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to get back to sleep because our minds are racing and we have all these worries. Um, it also just makes things harder, right? If this is like in the back of our minds, things are harder. It's like running training. Sometimes they train with parachutes on. And the reason they do it, like they'll go running with a parachute and it creates drag because that helps strengthen them. So that's the thing. It's like, we don't want to go through life trying to avoid difficulties or trying to avoid hard new challenges, right? Like that's not what we're trying to do. But these kinds of thoughts, it's like it creates drag on us and not necessarily the good kind unless we work on them, unless we start ditching them and like work on that process and that like mental strength of being able to, to work through these thoughts more quickly. If we don't work through them, we get that drag, kind of like a parachute when you're trying to run. So that's one of the problems of, of having, having the imposter thoughts. The, the other thing too is things are just harder, okay? Things become harder. Like if you, if you can think back to a situation, a time where you had to do something, um, maybe it was write a report or you had to prepare for a presentation, you had to do something and your brain was spinning up for whichever of these quadrants, like, but it was totally spinning. It was really hard to do that thing, right? You probably still did it, but it was harder versus when you can come into it, these, you can, you know, ditch these or put them aside, you've gotten rid of them. It's just easier. So the situation itself might not change, but it's easier when our mind isn't, isn't spinning. So those are the four types of imposter thoughts that can come up for us. And thank you for listening to this first part of the training about ditching imposter syndrome, because in a few days I'll be releasing part two, which goes into some of the actions we can take to begin to overcome those imposter thoughts. So keep an eye on the podcast app to get part two later this week. And with that, have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Now, if this podcast helped you or inspired you in any way, I would love for you to leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts. It takes about 20 seconds, if that, and it's, it's honestly the easiest way for you to thank me for this episode. Every time I see a review, it brings me so much joy and it just lights me up. So if you could do that for me, I would be ever so grateful. 
Now, the other thing you can do is you can take a screenshot of this episode or even a screenshot of your review and send it to a friend or share it in a Facebook group or even post on your LinkedIn newsfeed to let other people know about this podcast and this episode. Thanks again. And now get out there and start breaking some rules.